To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. International Correspondents on Newstalk ZB. U.S. Correspondent Catherine Furkin is in New York. Hi, Catherine. Hi there, Heather. What did you make of President Biden's speech? Yeah, it was uh, fairly remarkable, I would say. He delivered it during his visit to Warsaw, and he promised America's unwavering support for Ukraine. The president marked one year since Russia's invasion with a really clear message to Vladimir Putin, saying that NATO has never been more united. He said that democracies around the world are stronger than ever, and he vowed that Russia will never win in Ukraine. It was extremely strong from President Biden, and he actually directly shamed Putin, accusing him and the Russian military of committing atrocities. Now, Biden's supporters are really cheering this on. They're calling this speech vintage Biden, and they're saying that he's clearly positioned to continue as the leader of the Western world. But this focus on Ukraine is also really stirring up his critics over here. We're starting to see increasingly loud commentary about the fact that Biden seems more focused on defending Ukraine's interests than America. There's ongoing criticism about the vast amount of money that the U.S. has now given to this war. And Heather, there are also questions about why Biden has time to visit Kyiv and Warsaw, and yet he hasn't managed to visit the small town of East Palestine in Ohio, which we saw absolutely devastated by that recent derailment of a train which was carrying toxic chemicals. It has sparked one of the nation's worst environmental disasters. Doesn't help him that Trump's on his way there, right? Well, absolutely. Speaking of this train derailment, we just heard that former President Donald Trump is going to visit the area tomorrow. Perhaps not surprisingly, he's been one of the most vocal critics of the Biden administration's handling of this disaster. I think part of the motivation for his visit will be to draw attention to his campaign promise that he wants to restore rural communities and post-industrial cities. Having said that, though, there's no escaping the fact that under the Trump administration, rail safety protections were actually reduced. So we're going to have to wait and see what sort of reception he gets from locals. I mean, state Republicans also haven't escaped from this incident without any heat. We've seen Ohio Governor Mike DeWine publicly criticised for his slow and at times seemingly distant response. He was actually there himself today, touring some of the most devastated areas. We saw him visiting locals, going inside their homes, even drinking the tap water to try and prove that it's safe. But I'm sure you've been covering these shocking reports of the fallout from this derailment. The fact that, you know, there were thousands of people evacuated. And then even when they returned, there have been ongoing complaints about air quality, about water quality. And we're even even hearing reports from residents about unexplained rashes, coughs and headaches. So it may be that there is so much more to play out in this space. Catherine, this case sits with the Supreme Court at the moment. How would this change the way that, that Americans use the Internet? Yeah, I find this a really fascinating case. I mean, I'm a little bit of a tech nerd. Basically, this case is being driven by the grieving parents of Noemi Gonzalez. She's a 23-year-old American who was gunned down in 2015 while having dinner with friends in Paris. That was a terror attack that claimed the lives of 19 innocent people. And now the family is trying to hold Google liable for her death. They're suing Google-owned platform YouTube for helping Islamic State spread its message of hate and attract new recruits. What's interesting about this argument, they're not just saying, well, YouTube gave these people access to these videos. 
they're focusing on the issue of algorithms which push this sort of content towards users. Up to this point, there's been a nearly 30-year-old law, which is known as the Communications Decency Act, which has protected companies like YouTube from litigation. But their family is really trying to get that law overturned. They're saying that if it wasn't for YouTube's algorithms sort of suggesting to viewers to keep watching content, keep them on the platform, suggest perhaps increasingly violent content, their daughters simply wouldn't have died. So it's a fascinating case. And to answer your question about how the internet would change, it would be dramatic. I don't think we can even imagine these platforms without algorithms. They, they sort of affect everything that we use, from basic Google searches to YouTube to Twitter to Facebook. It would make the whole internet experience a lot less personalized, and it would almost see us going back to sort of that 2000 era of Facebook where you just had reverse chronological searches instead of anything personalised to your search history. Yeah, interesting stuff. Hey, Catherine, thank you. Catherine Firkin, US correspondent. Heather, text the ha- text the hell out of that 11-year-old. She's making a windfall. James Shaw's been listening to the show, 16 away from five. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.